Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And wow, what a week it is, or what a day it is, uh, just in the political sphere. We're going to really just go through a bunch of headlines quickly. Unfortunately, a short show today due to uh, Lagba Omer and various festivities and the, and the likes. Happy Lagba Omer to everybody. A couple congratulations in order, and we'll take those... Uh, We'll take those at the top. Um, Nick Langworthy, the Erie County, in case you weren't looking, in case you actually, those that care about the Republican Party in New York State, which is greatly diminished, I think that's an objective fact. It's, this, is not a, uh, this is not a spin situation. Okay, the, the Republican Party um, has not won a statewide race since 2002, and that was a re-election of George Pataki for a third term. Uh, nobody else has won. Since nineteen, uh, actually, since nineteen ninety four, nobody else has won a statewide race. Uh, the Republicans got turned out of the state senate. They've lost ground in the suburbs, and uh, the president, despite being a native New Yorker, has not been a positive force downstate, particularly in the suburbs, where Republicans have taken a beating, and the like. Uh, Western New York, upstate New York, uh, different story as far as their view of the president, but uh, still Republicans. Uh, are struggling, and they there was a push for change, and uh, the Erie County Republican Chairman, 38 years old, Nick Langworthy, pushed out the, uh, I'd say, a bastion of kind of white-shoe Republicanism, maybe Rockefeller Republicanism, kind of the old guard of Republicanism. Ed Cox, uh, a good friend, a good man, uh, had held the post for 10 years, and there was an insurrection. This is a midterm insurrection. I mean, it was headed for the end of the term, which is coming up in July. But Langworthy rallied many, many uh, chairs, county chairs, to his side, said it's time for a change, and was able to, instead of uh, getting a showdown in July at an organizational meeting, uh, Langworthy was able to topple Ed Cox with a little bit of nudge understanding from the president, but that it was time to go. Now, we'll have to see where we go from here because it's not as if uh, Langworthy coming in is going to immediately change the fortune of, of Republicans here in New York State. They are still out of power in many different ways. They do hold a number of congressional seats. But 2020 does not necessarily look like a great year, given the fact that presence on the ballot and his presence on the ballot, the president's presence that is could be an albatross around the necks of many Republicans running. But there are a number of seats, particularly on the congressional side, that the Republicans can take. They have strong candidates in Staten Island and Brooklyn, Nicole Maliotakis, uh, running against Max Rose, who has proven himself very formidable. Uh, Shel Farley, running against Sergeant Patrick Maloney in the Hudson Valley and the upper Hudson Valley. Uh, unclear, because John Faso decided he is not going to run in a rematch against Antonio Delgado in the upper Hudson Valley. So we'll have to see, you know, how that shapes up. Of course, it's only 2019. We're not upon that. But Nick Langworthy deserves the congratulations for playing the inside game and uh, becoming the new chairman or the soon-to-be chairman of the New York State Republican Party. So we will have to see how that shakes out because there's a, uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in politics that a lot of us don't see. We don't see it in the headlines, but the party machinery and parties themselves and these party elections actually have a big impact in who gets elected and who gets selected to run. So these are not offices to be ignored. A state chairman is a really important post. 
It's a really important post for candidates that want to run. It's a big function of fundraising, of troops, of message, etc. And he has a big uh, shoes to fill, particularly on the fundraising side. So good luck, Nick Langworthy, also a friend. Uh, and we'll see if we can make the playing field a little bit more level here in New York State. Um, not going to be an easy task to do, but he's a guy who has been able to do it upstate in Erie County. That includes uh, Buffalo's County, which is a, a big advantage for Democrats there, and yet Republicans have managed to win. Another congratulations is uh, here on a very, very micro local uh, level is Reva Olener, uh, who ran a what turned out to be a very heated race for library board in the five towns. Why do I mention this? And this is only because I know it's hyper-local. Uh, you know, this is one of those uh, Jew versus Jew races or firm versus firm races, uh, which, you know, you would have thought like years ago when Orthodox people didn't even run for office uh, because... You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily get elected in certain suburban areas. Now you have, in a community like the Five Towns, uh, you have people, you have m many from local elected officials. And library board, unpaid post, etc. But she was running. And what her opponent did, I think, is just downright shameful. Who's a 30-year incumbent? Don't know the guy, and this is not something, it's not a commentary on him personally, because I'm not sure whether this is him or his campaign manager. Not exactly sure who his campaign manager was, although we, we, you know, there are some suspicions. But basically what this gentleman did was an outright falsehood on the community. Uh, he was running on the same line, but not together with uh, other other from candidates who were running. Uh, in fact, Olinor was the candidate who was running together with those other candidates. But instead of acknowledging that, uh, he went ahead and did this advertising campaign of a unity ticket, a unity ticket, which, of course, he didn't have. So he wasn't in a unity ticket together with the other candidates. Uh, he was uh, running separately on his own. But instead, you know, given his, the ballot position, he went ahead. It's like claiming I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican when you really aren't. and I'm part of this party when I really aren't. And, you know, because people don't necessarily pay attention, it's hard enough to get people to vote. They don't pay attention until there. So after people were fooled and they go ahead and they go ahead and vote row A when they're told to vote, when they say everybody else is on row A and we continue to vote row A. Now, that's fine if you don't tell everybody, but to create an advertising campaign around that when it's intentionally misleading, when you know that you're not actually running with these people, it's just, it's fundamentally dishonest. But worse than that, worse than that, was sending out emails about uh, Ms. Olener, who is a distinguished person, an educator background, to talk about a person who is running for ulterior motives, who's trying to buy an election. Now, where do we see that? We, we see that, but people talking about Jews in an anti-Semitic way. We see that with somebody like Ilan Omar, who tried to, Jewish money is influencing our elections and our election system. We see that with the anti-Semites, who say it's all about the Jews, all about the Benjamins, who say that. How is it possible, how is it even conceivable, how is it fathomable that a Jewish person, that a 
Orthodox person would conjure up this type of language against another, a fellow member of the community, a fellow Orthodox person, to talk about buying the election for ulterior motives, for sinister motives, for devious or trying to deceive people and the like. It's just, it's shameful. It's disgusting. There are really no words that I can think of that are going to be to introduce this kind of language, it's just, it, to me, despite the fact that it was a Jew who said it, it's outright anti-Semitism. It plays on the worst types of tropes out there. And now, maybe somebody made a mistake with this language, and hopefully that was it. But if somebody intentionally went about this in this way, it just causes such re- ill repute on us. It's, it's disgusting. It's embarrassing. And it's not something that should good people should be condoned, and people should know about it and understand what happened and understand how terrible and despicable that is. One more, another point I just want to get to before uh, just get into the president and what's going on in Washington. Uh, just with regard to his article out, another article about measles. And, of course, it talks about uh, the fact that Shmuel Kamenetsky has been opposed to vaccines and over the years. I don't think he's spoken publicly on this issue for, for quite some time. But for some reason, um, a reporter got Avi Shafrin, who I, I like, I respect, I think he's a great writer, from the Aguda to comment on this issue about whether Shmuel Kamenetsky was for vaccinations or not. Doesn't, you know, again hasn't really been vocal lately on this. And of course, is, is what, but that's not the issue. The issue is, for some reason, Avi Shaffer decided to talk, say that there is there are two sides to the measles issue. There are two sides to vaccinations. Uh, it, it, totally misleading. I don't know any halakhic authority, including Moshe Sternbach, who wrote a very lengthy tshuva with regard to, to this issue. Rav Asher Weiss, all the people who paskin with regard to health issues in our community have said it is a chiv to vaccinate. So to introduce the idea that now there are two sides to this issue, there aren't two sides in the science. Maybe you want to say whether the Shiloh is you should keep somebody from school who hasn't vaccinated or not. That, that, I mean, that's okay. Maybe that's what he meant. But to turn around, it's like two sides. You know, it's like what the president said, there are, two, there are good people on both sides in Charlottesville. There are not two sides. That's what he didn't understand. And I'm sure he didn't get it when he said it why that was bad. But there aren't two sides to the issue. There aren't two views. This is not an Elu v. Elu issue. If you don't want to vaccinate, stay home. Don't threaten other people. Okay? Nobody's going to force you to vaccinate, but if you, but what you can force people to do is stay out of public because you can't go ahead and risk the health and risk the lives of other people. Just push it. There aren't two sides to this. And if you really feel strongly that there are two sides, don't say it in public because you have brought discredit onto the community for some reason. And and I say this, I, I don't know why Avi Shaffron felt the need to comment for this article. If he wouldn't have commented, there was no news in this article. Yes, years ago, over the years, there is a there is a very well-respected rabbi who is has skeptical of vaccinations. Great. It's not news. Everybody knows about it. But the news is now that the spokesman for Good Israel of America has basically endorsed the idea that there are two sides to the measles issue, to the vaccination issue. 
That's news. And that's wrong. That's terrible. And it's scientifically wrong. And I'm shocked that it would even happen. Last comment as we, uh, before we get to the president and Pelosi and the like is uh, Ben Carson goes before Congress this week and he's asked a question about REO properties. REO, real estate owned, bank owned, right? This is basically a situation where if you have a mortgage and you default on the mortgage, then the bank takes over the property. It's called an REO, real estate owned. So for some reason, Ben Carson was in a very, I, maybe, he, I, I don't know, maybe he took something before the hearing. I probably would to get through these hearings. That was kidding. But he was especially combative. Like he has people ask him a question. He says, you know the answer to that. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's funny, but it's not, it's just haven't heard that from somebody going to testify before Congress. But for some reason, he decided that he was going to prove his total ignorance. I mean, Ben Carson is a really smart guy. There's no question. I mean, this is guy is a, a brilliant brain surgeon and just you know, award-winning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No reason for him to be embarrassed as a slouch. But he didn't do his homework. I mean, REO is a very simple term. But for some reason, he decided to make light of the fact that he clearly didn't know what an REO was. You could see it from his face when you watch the hearing. And he decided to call it Oreos. Are you asking me about Oreos? And he, you know, laughed and said, oh, so Oreos, I thought you said Oreos. And then he tweets afterward with a picture of him with a box of Oreos as if somehow it's funny that he is the head of HUD of the Housing and Urban Development that oversees the housing policy. Huge agency, sprawling agency, tens and tens of billions of dollars go through HUD on an annual basis. He controls housing vouchers all around the And making light of the fact that he didn't seem to understand the, some of the very basic functions of his agency. Here, here's, join me for an Oreo. I don't know. I mean, why is this guy, why is he not in a health-related role? And it's just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, utilize the guy's expertise, right? The best and the brightest are supposed to be going in. That was the promise that the president made. And, you know, I know I harp on this because I think that this administration could be successful and should be successful in many different ways because I think their policies are actually better. But the personnel choices have been very poor. And I think we see it from the president's tweet this morning, which, again, I don't know why he attacks his own people, but he attacks Rex Torreson, again, as dumb as a rock in a tweet, right? The guy is dumb as a rock. And he was totally ill-prepared and totally unqualified to be Secretary of State. Well, guess what? This is your guy. You hired him. You hired him. He was your guy. He was your pick. It's like he, he want the president in the White House like to knock all these people in the government, but they're your people. Like when they go after Rod Rosenstein, these are your people. Chris Ray, he's your guy. You hired these people. I'm not saying any. I'm not saying that they're bad people. I don't believe. I don't. I think you know Rex Torrance had a lot of issues, but that's as dumb as a rock. I mean, the man was the CEO of the largest company in the world. It's it's inconceivable that the guy is dumb as a rock. Let's put it that way. Okay, last but not least, is very quickly going to do a little bit of a short show, is what's going on in Washington, the president, and clearly Nancy Pelosi knows how to push this guy's buttons. He knows how to push the president's buttons. 
she knows how to press the, push the president's buttons in a very good way. I mean, before they have a meeting about infrastructure, right? There's everybody's supposed everybody loves infrastructure. Everybody's supposed to do infrastructure. And I think if the president wanted to do infrastructure, he would actually put the, the Democrats on the defensive because they'd actually have to work with him. But maybe, maybe, perhaps, I think, actually, likely as both sides probably had an incentive to blow up this meeting that they had yesterday. And Nancy Pelosi decided that she's going to she's gonna go ahead and call, accuse the president of a cover-up because she doesn't want to impeach. But at the same time, she says, you know, he blows up, he walks in, he doesn't sit down, doesn't shake hands gives a whole diatribe, and then walks out of the meeting. And he says it was uh, impromptu. Well, of course, there was a press conference waiting for him in the Rose Garden with a sign, no collusion, no obstruction, as if he wasn't ready in order to storm out of the meeting immediately and do that. Now, maybe Nancy Pelosi doesn't want infrastructure either because she doesn't want to show that she's working with the president. And then the president has created now this false choice of saying either investigations or we get stuff done. So now he's basically saying, and I think very cleverly, or the White House saying, because I don't think the president did it so artfully, but they're basically saying, okay, you know, we can have jobs, we can move on things that matter to the American people, or we can investigate the president. Now, of course, you can investigate the president while doing everything. That's what happened with Watergate. That's what happened with Nixon. Many things got done in Washington. But it's as if this administration doesn't feel that investigation, it's clearly they don't feel, so they put it in court papers, that is part of the mandate of Congress that they have any oversight power over this administration. I think they're clearly wrong about that. That's clearly not the Constitution. And we're going to see about that. The courts seem to be certainly leaning in the way of Congress. But it's astounding how this goes. But politically, if you look at it, and the spin on this is that both sides kind of got what they wanted. They don't have to work together. Pelosi now is strengthened because she told the president off and the president stormed out and had a tantrum and he looks petty and small. And she's strengthened, I think, amongst her colleagues who want the president's head. And at the same time, the president might want, want to work with them either. So he's creating this thing of the you know, he's tweeted extensively this morning about the president. The Democrats don't do anything. They do nothing. That's it. They do nothing. They're not going to get anything done for the American people. And a lot of people are going to sit there and say, you're right. I don't care about investigations. I don't really care about Deutsche Bank. I don't care about the president's tax returns. What I do care about is jobs and the economy and infrastructure and the fact that my bridge is crumbling and the fact that there's no gateway tunnel um, and all these things that the government is supposed to do for us and they're not doing. And you know what? In the end... I don't know. I'll just blame the Democrats because they because that's what Trump is telling me. Okay. The other thing, of course, for his no good, very bad day is that the legislature of the state of New York, it will soon be signed into law by Governor Cuomo, they vote to make President Trump's tax state tax returns available to Congress. So one way or the other, I would imagine that in the coming weeks, coming soon to a theater near you, President Trump's tax returns will see the light of day. And I think we all know, and I said this, he should have just said, I will never release my tax returns. I'm never going to do it. Uh, you know, Instead, he played this game, and unfortunately, it's coming back. Fortunately for him, it's coming, coming back to... Or he just should have said, I don't know. Or you don't run. <laughs> if you got something to hide, you got to know that, the, that somebody's coming after you. Because if you run for office in some way, no matter how small the office is, someone's coming after you. That's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.